The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. My family thinks I'm crazy. A podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I give them in a shade. Christian worldview is based on erroneous translations, where villains were made heroes, while true heroes were slain and forgotten, or worse, villainized. What if the original language the Bible was written in reveals a radically different picture of classical antiquity? Today's guest has found just that. After earning a master's and PhD in classics, he painstakingly translates ancient Greek, unveiling a culture obsessed with religiously prescribed drugs, rape, and ritual murder for all occasions. Is your stomach turning yet? Proceed with caution. We're about to discuss some seriously disturbing information that some Christian listeners may not be comfortable with. Lady Babylon's 666's humble muse, Dr. Aman Hillman, joins me, Mystic Mark, here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this conversation with Dr. Aman Hillman. Let's start with the right at the heart of the whole issue. He's, he's the Christ. And if you know what the Christos is, you know that this is a mystery term. When I say mystery, every Bible scholars included look around and think, oh, mystery, it's a question. Ooh, it's, it's mysterious. No, no, a mystery is an operation performed by a cult. And these cults developed in the late Bronze Age. Now, they were probably earlier, but this is when we get impacted with the evidence. From the late Bronze Age, they're performing rites. And these rites involve sexual practices, drug practices, and a combination of what you and I would call medicine and religion together. There's healing involved. There's practical medicine involved. There's a level of 
intelligence and skill, right? That's too developed to be maintained except by a rigorous control structure. So the mysteries develop this and they're using drugs that are coming from the Black Sea region. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, and with me today is Dr. Amon Hillman, and we're going to be talking about, well, the roots of this Western civilization that we find ourselves in. I, fi- I think many people have questioned the legitimacy of this Western empire, and I'm excited to have this conversation. Hopefully, we will be ripping down the facade and seeing what's really behind it. But before we get to that, Dr. Aman Hillman, tell me about yourself, brother. Introduce yourself for the audience who might be hearing you for the first time. Sure. And thanks for having me, Mark. I appreciate it. I'm a PhD in classics. I tried to straddle both sides of the fence and I got advanced degree in bacteriology. I wanted to combine the two areas of classical philology and medicine. And I found something right away. There's a whole bunch of untranslated pharmacological works. And I had the pleasure of working with John Scarborough, one of the translators of the PGM, the Greek Magical Papyri. And I was able to forge a frontier Um, that my dissertation committee told me, I did my dissertation on Roman pharmacy, and my committee told me, you can't, you can't have a chapter on recreational drugs. So scrub it, take that out, and take out every other reference to recreational drugs. So I did so, and then I turned that around and sent that material off to St. Martin's Press, and that's where the chemical muse came from. And to be honest, I'm just a guy that cuts brains in a laboratory. That's all. And I've, I've, I've promised ever since the head of the department told me at the University of Wisconsin she, Classics, Department of Classics, she told me, she said, the Romans just wouldn't do such a thing. I'm talking about taking drugs. And after having seen the depth of the stuff that was there. And it is so technically advanced. I swore to myself, I will always dig to the underbelly and I will go for what the people are un- are unwilling to unpack. Those are the sources that I want to go to. And let me tell you something, Mark. I have found sex, drugs, mystery cults. I found Jesus arrested in a public park with a naked boy screaming, I am not a child trafficker. I've found a lot of stuff that, you know, is, is topsy-turvy. We have a view of the world, and that view is given to us through the Christian lens, and it's a false reality. I want to go back to those texts, and that's what I do now at Lady Babylon, is I go back to those texts, and I bring out the most graphic, in-your-face, native stuff you could possibly want. And show people what is a Christ. When was this text written? Why was it not written in Hebrew? As you think it was, we're talking about the Septuagint. Um, Style, baby. You know what cuts? You know what the difference is, Mark, between those who can perform and those who can't? It's the art. It's the skill. And in my case, it's the classical philology. That is everything to me. And I'm humbled having studied 
ancient Greek for 30 years and taught it. I'm, I'm humbled. You know, I, I used to teach seminarians before I got kicked out of seminary. I used to teach the seminarians, and I, I took them from one to five dioceses, adding a whole bunch of extra students to come in and learn this Greek because our standards were so high. That's what classical philologists do. So that's my training. You know, I spent a little time over in the Mediterranean. I happened to do a little dig at Megiddo, tell Megiddo, and boy, what fun that was to stay in the vineyard of Jezebel during an excavation of what is the end of the world. It was fantastic. I loved it. Lots of insanity. People going nuts. But I'm here to bring you the real picture from those sources. I don't have ideas. I'm not an academic. I'm not here to sell you a book. That stuff gives me indigestion. What I'm here for is to give you those sources and to equip people who are taking ancient Greek. There's an interest in these texts, and people will come to the dojo with me, and they will work out. And they will get to the point that they can go on and they can read these texts for themselves. And on the side, I do a little bit of slaying. There are a lot of people out there. I got to warn you, Mark. There are a lot of people out there who want to sell you things. And they will say things like, oh, I know from the Greek. 98% of the time, they do not. They are pulling that wool over your eyes and I love deflating these people. I had one of them come to me professionally in this meeting of minds on YouTube. Yes, and say, well, the Septuagint is obviously a translation from Hebrew because I've looked at the Greek. And so I thought, oh, great. Here's a fellow. Here's a fellow linguist. Guess what? He hadn't read anything. And he was just using that. Is an excuse. He didn't know any of the classical authors. He didn't know how those words were used. He was not a linguist. He was a joke sent by an institute to prop up the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are translations of the original Greek. Fantastic. It's all Ptolemaic. When you see the actual history and you wonder, why is it that Jesus is screaming I am not a child trafficker when the Roman cops show up and he's standing next to a naked child who runs off. But the child had something on them. They had a bandage, the same type of bandages that Galen talks about being impregnated with drugs. It was on his genitalia. Nobody, this is Mark, Mark 14, 51 and 52. Nobody questions why Jesus was arrested in a public park with a naked kid. Did you know that there's a whole drug culture associated with Jesus and the performance of the mystery, which is a drug sexual rite involving the castration of young boys for the kingdom of heaven. And now you know why Jesus was walking around saying some people are made eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven when he was talking to his 12 disciples who were children. Does anybody bother to check the ages of the disciples of Christ? They're all under age. 
They're all teenagers. Oh, my God. Is that why he's showing up in the upper room with a bunch of children? And he strips. He strips down. Check it out. Because he's washing feet, man. He takes a little towel, wraps it around his groin. And then he uses that towel to wipe off the feet that he is washing of the children. Now, for those of you who are biblical scholars... And those of you who will quote Josephus and Philo, your ignorance is beauty. Why would he be doing this? Oh, it's a common. Yes. Is it a common thing for us to sit around in antiquity? Notice the generalizations. Is it a common thing for us to sit around and wash little children's feet and then remove a towel around your groin and pat down their feet with that? No, there's no custom for that. That's the job of the lace days. These are the traffickers. And Jesus says openly when he's arrested, I'm not trafficking. Forget that little kid who just ran off with his private parts covered with a medicated bandage. Now do you wonder why there was a crowd there ready to crucify him? Mark, that's what I'm about. I'm about finding that text. I don't yeah. give a backside about ideas, and I'm not here to sell you books. Well, we uh, don't have any sacred cows on this podcast, so I am I'm open and ready to dive into this. I definitely want you to explain the greater context that we find Christ in, because I think that's a big part of how the controllers have woven the narrative into this spell that keeps everybody in you know, this slumber is by taking the context out and, and basically picking and choosing what we learn about history. So I'm excited to learn about this, what sounds like a dark undercurrent within the Bible. Where should we start to fully understand how this has gone so far afield from what most people would consider Christianity? Because I don't have any doubts that what you're saying is true. I don't read Greek, so I really couldn't challenge you, but help us help us understand it. Yeah, yeah. Let's figure out why that naked kid was with Jesus in Mark 14, 51, 52. Let's start with the right at the heart of the whole issue. He's He's the Christ. And if you know what the Christos is, you know that this is a mystery term. When I say mystery, every Bible scholars included look around and think, oh, mystery, it's a question. Ooh, it's, it's mysterious. No, no. A mystery is an operation performed by a cult. And these cults developed in the late Bronze Age. Now, they were probably earlier, but this is when we get impacted with the evidence. From the late Bronze Age, they're performing rites, and these rites involve sexual practices, drug practices, and a combination of what you and I would call medicine and religion together. There's healing involved. There's practical medicine involved. There's a level of intelligence and skill right, that's too developed to be maintained except by a rigorous control structure. So the mysteries develop this, and they're using drugs that are coming 
from the Black Sea region. One of them is this Murex production. They're taking these shells and they're produ- these shell creatures and they're producing from them just one of their many drugs that they call the purple. But this one is the big one because they're entire ethnic groups that are named after it. You've heard of the Phoenicians, right? Punic. You've heard of you've you've heard of the Pelasgians? No, you didn't hear about the Pelasgians. I'm sorry. Because they were before any of the history that you have been given as an obstruction by Christianity. It really is Christianity. The Jewish rabbis went along with it. And in creating that 11th century, 10th century, 11th century Masoretic text, they put the final clamp on the, the historical lie that the text is originally in Hebrew. It's not. It's originally Greek. So the Septuagint. Any, anyway, we're talking about late Bronze Age and the development of mystery religions. And just to cut to the chase, you're, you should be thinking about death and resurrection when you're in the mystery religion. They are going to give you a thanasimon pharmacon. It's a drug that induces death. And in the process, along with that drug, they have given you stimulants that are aphrodisiacs causing you satiriasis. What is satiriasis? It's not just a thing for men as we see today, but it's the inability to lose your erection accompanied by a psychosis. You become a satyr. You see, it turns out, Mark, they're given in these mysteries, they're given people drugs like scopolamine, atropine. They're giving you stuff from belladonnas, right? Nightshades, stuff that will induce. Hyoscyamine is another one. Drugs that will induce a psychotic state. They're going to put you into a psychotic, sexually aroused state during a mystery performance in which you will enter death and you will be brought back. And the fact that you were brought back will create a new life for you. You will be able to see what is unseen. You'll be able to experience what is beyond death. Having done that, you will be able to to visually resurrect the great queen of the underworld. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? In one right. They have engineered the human body to produce the drug. This is what I like to call polypharmacy, polypharmacy. The Greek approach to pharmacy is polypharmaceutical. You're not just giving drugs to a person to affect them in some way. You're giving drugs to change their own balance, is how they referred to it, so that they can then produce a substance that is a medicine. So it's a crazy. So you're using, as one author described it, Flaccus describes it as a you. Sh- the woman becomes the phar- pharmaceutical dispensary. She becomes that place where all the drugs are added together and then released. And these cults 
are performing these actions with instruments like the medicated dildo called the alabastrin. Very, very, very popular. Mary Magdalene has one and uses hers on Jesus. And it causes her in knowness. And remember that as a part of the Magdal and Scythian, Magdal and Scythian is Maga, translated Maga in Greek. When you think, what are all the these these witches about Maga? Is that word that those those knuckleheads that came to Jesus when he was born and gave him those drugs? They are following those traditions. It's the traditions of a woman in the Black Sea, late Bronze Age, a woman in the Black Sea who was one of the, quote, daughters of the sun. And what she did was she developed this right and then transferred it via oracles throughout the Mediterranean. The level of control of what I would call the Bacchic Empire at the end of the Bronze Age so impacted the Mediterranean that the Greeks, as late as the 5th century, are using the directions of those oracles as, as orders or commands. They are killing tyrants. These oracles are killing tyrants. But it all goes back to this mystery performance and to make the connection, to answer your question, this is all coming from the Christa. Who is Medea or the Medwa, the woman whom we get our word medicine from? She's the one who has the cup of communion. She's the one who's able to produce that water of life. She's the one who pushes this, we even have an account of her. First of all, she, she invented fumigations, right? We're drugging people. If you have a problem with drugging people, then you're going to have a problem with Christs. You can't have Christs without drugging. The Medwa or Medea, this Bronze Age woman from the Black Sea, modern-day Georgia, it's on the east side of the Black Sea, the Medwa is producing this cup that becomes so powerfully potent that the writer of the apocalypse is making her the enemy, by the way, Lady Babylon, right? What's written on her head? Everybody knows. Mysterion, right? The mystery is written on her head. And what is she doing? She has a cup. And what is her cup of? Pornea. What is pornea? Ejaculate. It is her ejaculate and her breast milk that create for us the setup that allows the initiate biochemically to enter into the right. They use her breast milk. It's called gilene. Gilene. It calms the storm. They're using theriacs, complex combos of drugs, most of which are serpent-based. They have a core, seven, seven stars. They call them the stars, right? Because what are you doing um, in the Bronze Age mind? You're drawing down the power of the star. 
And you wonder, why did the Magi show up with Jesus? Because you can't have a Christ except through this process. If Jesus didn't have that naked kid with him, he wouldn't have been the Christ. Fact. It's part of the religion. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm really glad we're talking about this because... Recently, I had a guest on the show who interprets a lot of what he sees in that time period around Christ as references to cannabis and marijuana, right? So I'm wondering, where does cannabis play into that? And is it possible that they kind of tried to soften the history by saying, oh, no, they weren't using venoms or poisons or psychedelics. They were just using cannabis resin. Let me say that I have to maintain a scientific line. Mm. Linguistics, classical philology are scientific disciplines. You do not make guesses. You do not make inferences. You do not make conclusions. You just have the evidence. What is the Greek actually saying? You cannot walk around and say Jesus was cannabis, right? Where did they use cannabis in in antiquity? Did you know cannabis is a Greek word? Did you know cannabis? It's a Greek word. Did you know the street names for cannabis in antiquity? No, because you and everybody else does. I'm talking to the guy you're talking about. They don't read the actual sources. They don't have them. They don't read them. They don't have access to them. And you say, I can read the Bible. No, you can't. I used to tell my seminarian students on day one, you've never read the Bible in your life. Don't sit there and quote stuff to me. That's garbage. I'm going to teach you how to read the text. And once you read it, then you can, then you can tell me something. One of my students raised the hand, their hand one day, burst out in class. I found it. And I said, what'd you find? Cannabis. Oh, nice. You found it in some rope-making thing somewhere in Wisdom of Solomon. They're using the, yeah. Okay, where is cannabis used in antiquity? It's called star. It's called star. And it's a thing that the Scythians are heavily invested in. Scythians don't take baths. They don't, right? You don't jump into a stream. You fumigate. And when you fumigate, you not only shed all of the exterior corruption, but you shed that which is on the inside, that which is in your thumos, right? You shed that. It's a purgation. When we have the ancient Greek tragedians, like Sophocles, Aeschylus, and Euripides, writing their works hundreds of years before Jesus, They are attempting to bring the Bacchic religion that purifies the people through mania, through drug-induced mania. They're trying to bring that to the stage to purify. All the stages is a landing place. I hate to tell every thespian this, but all the stages, it's a landing place for the Bacchic cult that was developed in the Bronze Age. That's all it is. It's a place where you can bring that purgation. So cannabis, what about cannabis? Yeah, it's there. And the Scythians are using it. And the Athenians in their assembly, they burn it in order to, quote, induce a jovial attitude for the sake of discussion. Okay, fine, right? How do you burn? 
how do you do it? And do you stand there with your joint? No. If you're an Athenian and you're pushing democracy, do you stand there? No. They burn it on a giant barbecue and everybody inhales it. We hot box. Right? Imagine if we could do that. What would be the difference? What would be the difference if you can induce a state of mind in your representative body? What if you can do that? It's the control of the people. And it's a control that it's always butting its head against government. The Romans got the same thing. Put down a big revolt by a bunch of women, about 2,000 if memory serves, who were involved in a Bacchic revolt, right? Trying to bring back the purgative. And do you know how they arrested them? They identified them based on the drugs they found. I'm telling you history. I'm not telling you fairy tale or myth. I'm telling you history. That's what the texts say. It's a big, big deal. They put them all to death, these, these poor women. They put them to death. Why? Because of that that element that the mystery has of loosening the control of bringing freedom. When Jesus gets to the stage, he is working within that same environment. He is working within that functioning mystery. So everything he does, all of his titles, those are all mystery titles. Monogenes. People call him the only begotten, John 3.16. He's going to give you ionic life. Because he's the only begotten son of God. Do you know what that monogenes is? You can't translate that. You can't translate that. It, it was an old title that was used of Athena when she established the courts as the metis of Zeus. I'm not talking Yahoo. I'm talking Zeus. Wow. You mean this is all precedent? This is all precedent for Christianity. Jesus is picking very specific titles, very specific titles. And he's even in the apocalypse wearing women's clothing, right? Because the morning star, as we all know, is a woman. Now, granted, in her earliest depictions, she has a penis. Yeah. Yeah. The Right? The drugs from the venoms alone that they're using are affecting things like hormones. Do you know why you can get a Medusa to be six foot six and appear to look like a prepubertal girl with an aggression problem and some skin, some scaling on the skin, little injected eyes, a little bit of little bit of night blindness okay but she is changed the regimen that i have seen administered with drugs we we humans are losing ground on the knowledge base that we used to have the fact that you can take a person and turn them into a mystery drug-producing divinity. That is cool. The fact that they can be born again, right? Jesus is born again. He wants you to be born again. 
There's a reason that Mary in the Apocrypha is pictured as being nourished by the angels in the antrum, in the inner chamber of the temple at Jerusalem, with her fingers dyed purple because she is working the purple. When her, when her midwife, I'm quoting to you from sources, none of this is idea, it's all sources. When her midwife comes into her, she palpates her with her two fingers, as was typical. And she has to pull her fingers out because they're on fire and they're covered with the purple. What is it with the purple? They're using the purple in old midwifery. The oldest drug texts we have have to, have to do with drugs that are involved in gynecology. The overwhelming of number of drugs in our pharmacopoeia from Greece are from midwifery. Specifically, drugs involved in maintaining or altering flow. Drugs intended to maintain the cycle, right? What you would call abortifacients, right? They don't have a, the, the very first man doctor who comes along and creates a union. His group is the one saying, look, we can't do what the midwives before us have done and regulate menstruation. We can't do that. Let's not do that. And we can't give any of those thanasimon drugs, those drugs that induce death. Why would you want to do that? Because do you know what kind of state you can get to with these drugs? Do you know what kind of places you can go? What do you think rebirth is all about? What do you think resurrection is all about? Right? Jesus isn't going to tombs and resurrecting moaning children for any reason. Right? It's a it's an ancient practice that is perpetuated and what you that is perpetuated by the right and what you see today is christianity is not that mystery it is not that mystery unless they've got unless they've got basements somewhere and some sophisticated drug work going on it's not that mystery the entire look when moses in his you know he's written about in the 3rd century when the septuagint is produced this character of Moses. What is everything that he's working towards? Setting up this tent that you can fumigate. Somebody can go into it and see God, the voice of God. It's oracular. The Greeks have very specific terminology for it. The telesterion. It's a specific area that is used to create that oracle. That's what Moses' tent is. It's what they call it in the Septuagint. And what is he doing there? He's getting that voice of God. Do you remember what Moses holds up? Moses holds up serpents. Why is he doing that? Because the menads that developed the mystery, that's what they do. When Jesus says, hey, I can, I can cause you to drink deadly drugs, nothing will happen to you. He's telling them, I can teach you the Simon. He's saying, look, you'll be able to pick up snakes. No problem. These, and we're not talking any snakes. We're talking vipers horned vipers that the medwa is pictured having. And now you know why Jesus is screaming on the cross, I'm thirsty. Oh, help me. I'm thirsty. Didn't somebody give that guy a drink before he got crucified? That's not the issue. The issue is they took him from the garden with that kid where he was taking the cup. And when he gets to the cross, he's already feeling the symptoms. The doctors describe the symptoms. 
It's called polydipsia, extreme thirst. And get this, in antiquity, they had an antidote for it. Nonus, who rewrites the Gospel of John, he paraphrases, they call it his paraphrase. He tells us that stuff called vinegar that they were giving to Jesus and the sponge on the cross, that's an antidote for dipsass poisoning. What is the dipsass? It's the horned viper that makes you thirsty. It causes you to enter that polydipsia. Unfortunately, it's one of the drugs that's used to induce the state of the Christos. When he yells, Sabachthon, he's not talking Aramaic or Hebrew. Aramaic was nowhere. Hebrew had been dead for centuries with a, with a, with a salvageable vocabulary at 8,000 unique words. Do you know how much that is? That's not enough to get you through a day. Mm-hmm. What's the Greek at? The Greek's at 250. I've seen some estimates of 500,000. The fact is, it's so many, we don't have a single source that contains it all. Oh, my God. What are they doing with the language? They're using that language in a way that causes your, my students suffer this all the time, causes you to open up, kind of expand, and your, your vocabulary, you know, you think of concepts that you cannot create in English except with a phrase or a paragraph. Nonus comes along. And he says, look, this is the, I, this is the antidote they're giving him. Not a, not a surprise. He uses, in Greek, the word antidote. It's a Greek word. Yeah. And so when Jesus is there, the people at the time already had a perception of the situation that was completely different from yours. It explains why people's reactions were the way they were to Jesus. When he's going to boats of dudes with their kids and he's taking the kids off of them. That's James and John and Peter. When he's doing that and saying, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You'll understand why Peter was identified by a female underage prostitute. Why she's the one who said, Oh, that's Peter. He's one of the boys of Galilee. I know them. Hmm. Yeah. Lace stays. I want to find out. I want to find out what that is and why Jesus was denying it. The drugs are so profoundly prevalent and forcing the operation of the mystery that Paul the Apostle can get bitten by a viper and have no reaction to it. Do you know what kind of how what kind of time it takes to build up that kind of immunity? The Greeks said it takes three years takes three years of constant exposure. How do you expose somebody to that stuff? You take your nine-year-old girl, you put her into a school, and part of the dancing is cutting herself and wrapping her cuts and medicated bandages that have the seven stars that contain that venom. If she takes that venom, she will turn into the Medusa. Don't be afraid. She has the water of life. They called her early on the half viper, right? Half viper, half woman. That's what they called her. She was kind of like a hybrid. What kind of power did these priestesses have? They had enough power to be able to tell the Greeks where they could colonize. They had enough power to walk into Rome, which was a bunch of huts at the time, and tell Romulus and Remus, hey, you want to write your language? 
the thing that you're speaking, that primitive stuff you're speaking, you want to have a written form of it, let's give it to you. Right? Oracles all over the Mediterranean, controlling, telling people what to do, pushing towards freedom, the death of tyranny. There's no wonder that democracy is the particular birth of the Greeks. Yeah. All those democratic reforms, all those financial reforms, that stuff is driven by an oracular system that says tyranny is no good. And it's coming from the voice of 14-year-old girls. 14-year-old poetesses are ruling the world. And Medea is that poetess prime. She's that one who's out there. And we even have an antiquity. We have the author Pindar who preserves her oracles from Thera. And what does that mean? It means she was saying in 14 generations, somebody is going to come here and they're going to ask you this. They'll be from this family. I want you to tell them to go found a colony off the coast of Africa, right? In Cyrene. The people are responding to this by following the directions of the oracle. That's how much power that 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 one singer has. She's the one who formed the mystery. Jehovah's big weakness is that mystery, right? He was born from that. It's why you have the garden and you have the, you have the serpent. Why did you think the serpent was there? Of course he was going to open her eyes, right? She's trying, he's trying to get the deal set for Adam. And you think Adam, ah, Oh, it's Hebrew. No, because people have told you that for the last 1,800 years. It's not Hebrew. It is a Greek term that is older than any scratch of any Hebrew or Aramaic anywhere. It's in the Mycenaean linear B, Adamas. It's the name for an individual, and it means one who can no longer be overcome. It's the name of what you give to somebody who's been put through the right. And Jehovah Yahoo couldn't get it done because there was a snake there. There was a snake there who gave Eve the truth. God, the first liar, is wrong. Did you ever notice that? God's the first liar in the Septuagint. It's very revealing. Very revealing. Hold up those snakes, baby. If you're not holding up those snakes, you got no religion. You got no Christianity. This faith thing is hilariously so inappropriate. It is completely a wash of what is from antiquity. Jesus would have had nothing, nothing to do with any of the modern church. Why is that? Because he was the Christ. He was the one going through the process with that naked kid. He was the one entering and coming back. Who can do that? The monogenes. You have to become that son of God, and he was becoming it. You know, and they made him that way from his youth, right? And people wonder, why do you, you know, what's the Christ thing going? You know, and you think, just think about this for a minute, Mark, and I'll stop. But just think about this for a minute. You and I believe a fairy tale that there was this dude, Jesus, and he popped up, and these three dudes came out of the east, and they're like, ah, we've seen your star. Oh, going to give you some money. You go to Egypt. He wants to be killed, and he comes back. 
right? And suddenly people are calling him the Christ, right? And he's talking about, he's the son of man. What? You think this stuff came out of nowhere? No, Jesus is building on history. He's building on what's come before, and he's changing it. He's altering it, and this isn't the first time. A dude named Heracles, a dude named Heracles that we have temples to all over because he started a mystery in the Bronze Age. He started a mystery. And what does it have to do with? It has to do with boys, the education of boys. You know what? The same word for educator is pederast. It is a Thessalian tradition. They call them kentauroi, the centaurs, what you and I call the centaurs. Do you know what? You know why a centaur is a centaur? Have you ever seen horses have sex? These are horse cultures that we're talking about. Do you know the Roman word for horse means she who is an estrus? Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Don't you see some kind of connection there? They're poisons, by the way. These are the horse cultures that are using them. Those Thessalian centaurs, they're all descendants of the Pulaskians. And one of the things that they do is they perpetuate a mystery that involves a boy. Yeah, yeah, they do. The only person that's allowed into these processes is Medea because she's got the communion. Yeah. Fantastic. This is amazing. And by the way, just in case you didn't think that you you were squarely in history and not in myth, this same woman developed the substance that was used by the Greek Navy. They call it Greek fire. And it's a combo of different petroleum products, pitch, and they process it, and they make this highly combustible fluid that you can you can be in water you can throw water on it it'll keep burning the the greek ships loved it man you just hose them hose your enemy with stuff it'll burn it's an ancient napalm it was developed by the colchian named medea it was developed by her they even called it medea's fire to start with so when you read about medea being involved with the king of corinth through her greek husband who is going off to going to desert her and marry the princess. What does Medea do? She burns them all alive. She burns them all alive. It turns out stuff will give off a fume. It's like a jelly. They describe it as a clear liquid that is viscous. You can coat things with it. And if it gets within a certain distance of a flame, it'll combust. So she kills these people. Right? It's the tech and that's driving everything. And part of the tech are the drugs. Right? You and I may not consider that as drugs, but to them, that was the master manipulation of drugs. If they can produce medusae, right? Temple guardians, who are these girls who are under the influence of hormones that are, that are bringing out a potential. They looked at it as a potential. A potential in them. You and I would say it's, I don't know, genes but they bring out a potential in them that you can't bring out unless you harness nature chemically, right? And that's what, that's what they're doing. And the, the amount of drugs they're using, Mark, is so phenomenally high. 
it's way out there. The, the, some of the stuff is weird. I mean, it just, it doesn't make sense, but then somebody will come along and say, oh, beaver testicles. Why are they hunted the beaver, the European beaver to extinction? They hunted it to extinction. The Romans even recognized that. And they're like, we shouldn't have done this. But what are they doing? They're taking the perianal gland of the beaver and they're making a drug that will take away your headaches. And it turns out the beaver eats willow bark. It's salicylic acid. It's friggin' aspirin. It concentrates that in the in this perianal gland, which some person sometime many, many years ago figured out you can eat this thing and it'll, you know, it'll take your headache away. We've lost that knowledge. They also, I just want to throw this out there just to get a get a re, a reaction. The cancer rate in antiquity. It's low, 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 low. Yeah, they've got it, right? They describe it low. Rates are low. Of course, it's pre-industrial and all of that. It's probably the But don't miss the fact that it could also be because the drugs that they're using, they're using drugs that work on genes, right? Oh. So have they found a water of life? Is there any truth to the fact that these Medusae can live extra centuries is there a reason they're recording that they're talking about the longevity is there any reason that people are asking Medea to do that thing to them that rejuvenates them right I mean they're talking about transfusion did you know they're doing transfusions do you know how dangerous that is it's okay because Medea's aunt has been experimenting for years on criminals they can do that where they are. Yeah, the Romans did the same thing in Alexandria, right? They did the same thing. But you can give people drugs. And, you know, it's so widespread, the drug use, that Pliny tells us that if you want to get answers out of anybody, you've got a conspiracy, right? You know that people are planning some, some stuff to overthrow the government. You can take, you have experts, magi, who can take this person and they said, Pliny says they'll give them drugs that put them into a state that they visualize the person as that God power. And the person's able just to bleed the truth right out of them. You know, they're, they're, they got to tie them down when they do it. It's quite a process, right? A lot of this is binding and you get good. You get a lot of this medicine that people today would be like, Oh, there's no way that we can be involved in anything remotely like that. Right, but can we at least look at the drugs and see what it was that they seem to have been doing so right? Mm. Yeah. Wow, you are a firestorm, brother, and I love it. I think this is uh, exactly what we needed on this show. You're really stirring a lot of things up for me, particularly one of my greatest interests pursuing this podcast and just in life in general. Uh, a little background: I grew up in Connecticut near New Haven. So Yale and, and Skull and Bones, for that matter, came across my radar pretty quickly in life. And I just, I've been obsessed with researching everything Yale and Skull and Bones, especially over the past few years. And one of the ideas that has come to pass over and over is that what they are doing in the tomb is essentially a, a death ritual, a rebirth ritual. And I'm sure they're not the only secret society to do this, but what we're really learning from this excellent conversation we're having here is how 
prevalent these practices were in the ancient world. You know, people today, they're like, oh, but that's all too good to be true. How could these secret societies have figured it out? It's because they had thousands of years to workshop this stuff. And then they just erased all that time from at least our modern perspective. So now we're grasping at straws trying to figure out why these secret societies exist and what, what they could even be thinking about what are their secrets oh they, their secrets must not be that important they're just jerking off and telling each other about their sex secrets it's like no 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 this is very very vital stuff they're not taking this lightly you know people die over these secrets right so I, you know maybe you agree with this maybe not but i guess my my thought is that the secret societies of today can be better understood by looking at this time period so Maybe to form this into a question, are there any Greek speakers living today who are looking at this and questioning this? Is this something that people today alive in Greece are really thinking about? Or have they even in Greece been kind of pushed away from this? Because obviously as English speakers and readers, we're kind of blocked naturally from understanding that stuff. But what about people who are born reading and speaking Greek? Yeah, I want to address one thing. Modern Greek is not ancient Greek. Right. So, again, you're talking about a shrunken vocabulary, and you're talking about a simplification that happened with modern Greek. And that process took the flexibility of the Attic Greek and destroyed it. So you can't you can't mechanically in modern Greek express the same thing that you can in antiquity. So with the ancient Greek, and there were periods when the Koine would, and the Koine just means the common tongue. It's not necessarily a dialect in and of itself. Different dialects like Attic, Ionian, or Doric, they can have their own Koine. What all Koine is is when the language starts to slip from the hands of the highly technically expert into the hands of the common people. And when that happens, you start to degenerate. People think languages are born and all languages are created equal. They're not. There are languages all over the Mediterranean that did not make it because they were brutally murdered by neighbor languages that were more capable, that were better instruments. For example, the Greeks, they're able to derive calculus just using their speech. Try that sometime. Try working with an integral Right? Just with your speech, just with words, express that. These are the people that figured out the, the earth wobbles on its axis. Can you believe that? They could calculate a wobble? Oh, my God. What makes the, makes the whole eclipse thing look like it's going backwards? That's the facility of the Greek language. And people say compare these others. There's no comparison. There's no comparison. You compare anything east of them, it's garbage. You've got lists of junk. That's all you've got, receipts. Well, what about the Epic of Gilgamesh? Right. Have you read the Epic of Gilgamesh? Yeah, put that next to something Greek. And when you realize the person who's writing it can only stretch so far, you'll begin to see, oh, the current of development in human history is coming through this calcolithic culture, the Pulaskians that are bringing us this language that is devastatingly powerful. And this predates that Mesopotamian stuff by several thousand years. So people have a, a really skewed view. I knew Norman Yaffe 
from Ori- the Oriental Institute. He used to teach at University of Arizona. And he was a Near Eastern specialist, and he did the, the cuneiform. And I took a semester with him. Great, great human being. But l- working with cuneiform, and all he was there to do was to introduce us to it, right? It's his expertise. And he's just introducing us to it. Compared with the Greek, it's laughable. It's absolutely laughable. The level of technological development is low, 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 low. Low, low, low. Well, you yeah, they had their architects in there. Yeah, they did. They did, right? Yeah, they did. And yeah. I'm sorry. It's a narrative that you've been given, though, because we have to follow the biblical narrative. And so we have to think that this is actual history when it's not. When it's not. And what's funny is the Romans tracked these groups, right? They were big into the Etruscans. And if you don't know anything about Etruscan religion, you don't know anything about Roman religion. They have the oracles as well. And they're using, they're using these oracles. One's called Egeria. And she gives the king of Rome everything about past, present, and future. You mean she's right in history? Yeah. You mean she's right in the future? Yeah. She's one of the oracles. And don't try to keep up with what's in those books. Right? This is advanced stuff. There's a reason Sappho's the tenth muse. There's a reason the muses, the powers of those that language, is coming from that female side. You were talking before about quackery, right? Quackery doesn't make it. People think, oh, these are a bunch of snake oil people. Nope. The merchandising doesn't pull it. Why? Because they're working with life and death. These drugs are coming from the drugs. Listen to what they're able to do. If I'm a woman and I'm, I'm near the end of my pregnancy and I'm getting ready for delivery and this thing is not coming, it's not coming out, something's wrong, the midwives will be able to put me through a process. That oysters they've got, that drug they've got, it, it activates oxytocin receptors it's what it basically takes over the pathway that you would need to induce delivery they still give pitocin for the same to do the very same thing today right they could induce birth that power that technological power is what's behind the ruling power and you can't you can't escape it in the people is people don't recognize when they read the odyssey that Odysseus is going from island to island as captive of women. These are tyrants. Tyrants. One of them is Circe, and you know what she does to all his men? She drugs them. She drugs them, puts them into a pen. They're not the same. And Odysseus comes in, and he knows, because he got a drug from the kid that was outside, right? When you get to this party, the kid at the door says, you better take this, because she's going to give you something. It's going to take over uh, your mind. And so what does he do? He takes the antidote. He gets in there. She threatens him. She tries to hurt him. And then they have sex. And then she keeps him. She keeps him. These are Black Sea tribes, right? And these Black Sea tribes, Amazonians, for example. And if you think Amazonians are myth and not history, you haven't seen a three Athenian graveyards full of people from the wars they fought with the Amazonian tribes. 
These are horse tribes, and they had a rule. The Sarmatians, one of them, I think it was the Sarmatians, had a rule. You have to kill three men before you can take, before you can mate and produce a child. And if you produce a man-child, you got to either take it to one of the Greek temples where they will adopt it, or you got to expose it and kill it. Why? Because we're not raising men. Men are superfluous. The brains for the direction of society are joining together. They come from women. Men don't have free speech here. And when they, when they go out to find breeders, they hunt them. These are hunting societies. Imagine, imagine if your spouse had to have killed three people before she decided to mate with you. It's got to be a great, you know, it's got to turn the tables completely and it's got to produce. And it did. It produced in these, in these female led societies, female dominant societies. It produced this power that, you know, even the Romans were getting beaten by the Parthians, bro. When you can ride a horse backwards when it, at a gallop and shoot people, I mean, that's purportedly what they could do, these women. You can ride backwards. Right, no saddle. Shoot people. That level of skill, and remember, they're using the poison bow. All you got to do is nick somebody, paralyze them, yeah, and or kill them, and or kill them. Right? They're using these venoms. I talked to a toxinologist in Australia, not a toxicologist, but a toxinologist. Somebody who just does the venoms. And they're looking at venom use in Parkinson's, possibly helping to alleviate the amyloid buildup with venom. I don't know how it works. I don't know what the chemistry is. But I asked him, I said, what are they doing? They're using the breast milk of these medusae in order to counteract the drugs that are the snake-based, the venom-based drugs. And he said, look, it's the biochemistry is too complex. No one, this too, I sent him all the substances they were given these girls. And I, I thought, okay, we'll magically come up with a problem. And the le- he's a leader in the field. He's a doctor from New York. He's a leader in the field. And the, the answer that he can come up with, which I thought was scientifically very responsible, is that, look, it's probably the biochem is too advanced but it's probably something to do with antibodies and antibody production um, and the way um, that they're administering it. Okay. It could be to counteract some of that venom side effect that they're talking about getting, right? Cause like you said, people die from this, right? Oracles themselves, these priestesses, they'll just drop dead or more often go crazy and kill themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's an extreme, it's an extreme world. This bronze age pharmaceutical magical world is, is extreme, but it's very scientific and they're doing things purportedly. We should be able to replicate. You ask, is somebody else doing this? People have asked me that and they want to know, is the Catholic church doing it? Right is the Catholic Church. I had a guy come up to me to talk. I gave him Gloucester. He said he was one of the people that was abused by the famous breaking of the whole cardinal law business and the other sexual stuff that was going on. 
um, Boston. And he was one of the people and tears in his eyes. And he said, all, all I was doing, I was given a paper on ancient Christian ritual rape. Okay. Just hang on. Ancient Christian ritual rape. The Romans were arresting him for this. And he, he came up with tears and he said, you, you captured it. I said, what did I capture? And he said, what I saw in the eyes of my abuser, the guy who was raping me, was exactly what you were describing. This, this, and because I had walked him through, why would you do this to somebody? Why would you perform this sacred sodomy? Why would you, as a priest or a, or a leader, why would you take in the power of the devil? Why are they doing that? Right, Because when that kid who's being sodomized, this is Christian reasoning. Pagans didn't do this. That kid, if they're being sodomized, has two benefits. Number one, they can never be possessed by a demon. Just take that for what it is. And number two, why? Because all the pagan oracles, they had to be virgins. Right? They were taking care of it. It wasn't an abuse situation. Right? We can access the knowledge without abusing the child. Right. So, but the Christians came up with the idea. If you sodomize the kid, the boy, what happens to him? He can't be possessed. And if he refutes the temptation, if he says, no, the devil is rejected. And they say that kid's soul can never be taken from God, can never be taken. So that kind of whatever it was that I said that they were doing, he saw it in what the priest was doing to him. I don't know if it's power. I don't know what it is. Is that somebody who's performing? That's somebody who's closer, who's closer to the right than anything else, anything else going. Or any is anybody doing it in the modern sense? I have such little faith in Masons and free societies and hoo-boo-joo-boo and sitting around saying, oh, my goodness, well, let's make a riddle. I have so little respect for that garbage that um, I'm going to say I'm willing to bet my degrees on the fact that they can't reproduce it. Um, technologically, I know for a fact nobody, nobody looks at those sources. Nobody knows. Um, nobody follows those priests. Nobody sees what they do. So I'm going to say no. I'm going to say modern, you know, who knows, maybe some millionaire billionaire in their missile silo with enough resources could reproduce the right beyond doubt it could be done if they did it then we could do it now right do we even have the species of snakes that are left that we need you know that's a problem we got to figure that out right they're trying to bring back silphium now from a native a relative in asia minor Right? Why silphium? Galen travels to North Africa to get this drug, and they give it to him, little pills. You got little pills. They're called trochoi or trochiskoi. And what do those pills do? And you watch what happens when you, use a, when you use a pill. You watch what happens. Now, this one that Galen was interested in is, is a panacea. It's an all-cure. Cures all sorts of ailments, right? Reportedly. So the physicians are mad into using it. But there are pills that I can give you. There are trojisco that I can give you. You buy them in the Roman marketplace, my friend. You don't have to, you don't have to look far. And they all have a seal. You got to look for the seal of the person who's crafting it. That's what's most important. 
And anyway, you, you take these pills, you, you, I've seen them inserted rectally, or you can use them in, in wine. You can dissolve them in wine. They're dissolvable. And then you just use it as a drink. But you can also just insert them rectally. They, they use them on the female side. Now, you're thinking, what? You? Suppositories? Yeah, guess who invented them? The women. Because the suppository was originally used by the women as a vaginal pessary as a means of inducing abortion. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Do you know what you can do once you've induced an abortion in a woman? There's a rule that when you come up to the, to the tripod, you don't go down from it with a pregnant, right? We can administer, and they did in the Middle Ages. I've got a historian, Jules Michelet, who will tell you how they did it. They administered that tripod worth of ejaculate to the congregation. They actually washed her. They washed that oracle. And you say, that's satanic. Yes. And those are all the sources where we see it. When you say Satan, you mean Saturn because the row is dropped. This is the same cult. It's a Bronze Age Saturnian cult that's practicing this complex pharmacology. Absolutely, absolutely glorious stuff, man. And all the texts are right there, Mark. They're all just sitting there. People just ignore them. Right. Wow. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. Let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors. Shout out to The Hit Kit, the number one way to get lit. Use the promo code CRAZY and check out The Hit Kit on Instagram. He's got all sorts of amazing gadgets for you to keep whatever you're smoking or token on safe and sound, whether it's a blunt, joint, a spliff, roll it up, tuck it away in The Hit Kit and uh, pull it out whenever you need it, whether you're saving it for after work Maybe you're saving it for when you get home. Uh, use the Hit Kit. Use a promo code and save on the Hit Kit today. Also, we've got an amazing affiliate deal with Oregonite. That's right, my man Isaac makes Oregonite from the great state of Oregon. And you should support him today. Use the promo code MFTIC. You'll save 10% off on your own custom piece of Organite. You can also get an Organite pyramid. Some of them even light up. So go and check those out. Use the promo code. Let Isaac know that you found out about him from the show. And with that, we're going to take a quick break to listen to some dynamic ads. And if you don't want to hear these, don't complain. Just sign up for the Patreon or the Substack, and you'll get an ad-free version of every episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with no interruptions. All right, so go and do that. Otherwise, we'll be right back after this quick break. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. 
After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So let's step back and just kind of address some of the bigger picture ideas here, because I'm really enthralled in all this. And I, I could sit here and listen to the, the nitty gritty details all day because you are very talented at laying it all out. I can tell you've done the research and you, you can back it up. But for people listening who may be like, well, what, what's the, the big idea here? Just to clarify, in the pre-Christian era, we're dealing with very complex cultures that we can learn about through this understanding of ancient Greek. When does Christ and this contingency of essentially pederasts come into the picture and begin to disintegrate or denigrate human culture? Because it sounds like from everything we've talked about today, that the, the Bronze Age world is much more complex maybe even more advanced in at least medical technology and probably consciousness technologies like language and so on and so forth. So when does this begin to degenerate and do you have any thoughts as to why that would take place? Yeah, it begins to degenerate from the beginning. The cult of Heracles is the clear offshoot of that medic or maga medicine right, that they're performing, that they're producing in the mysteries. And right away, it's a degeneration of it. Right away, it's the children, the boys, that become the center because it turns out you can get an antidote. It's practically based. You can get an antidote from a kid that you have castrated. You've taken his testicles, not his penis. That They did that in antiquity, but it was much more dangerous operation. Galen you know, can tell you it's, you know, it's dangerous. So most of the time you're just cutting off testicles like origin, you know, he got it, he did it. But where's the origin of that stuff? Where does that stuff come from? Dude, it, you've got the, the, the mother cult, you've got the cult of Sibley, right? The Phrygians, the Thracians, they're using these, they're using these mothering cults where the child is brought to sexual awareness in the process of the rite. And this child is castrated. You can join voluntarily. They have a festival. And Lucian describes this festival. People 
People don't understand antiquity. Try to think about this festival. You're at a party, a big party. There's lots of food. People are drunk. There are priests who are castrated, who are singing hymns to the great mother, right? These people are under the influence of all sorts of things, right? So just realize it's, it's in the punch. And a kid, you can step forward. You can get a, get a 10-year-old kid. Imagine a 10-year-old kid stepping forward, taking off his clothes, taking a sacred, sacrificial, or ceremonial, I should say, knife, and cutting off his testicles. Now, the kid, Lucian says, and he said some people would be swept up in it who were just visiting. You could just be going there on vacation. You know, I went to a bees and I came back without my testicles, right? They're doing it. And what, what happens to the kid who cuts off his own testicles? He takes his testicles, right? Which, if you think about the pain of this process, it only makes sense that they're using a lot of the drugs, especially the ones that kill the pain, right? Opiates, extremely, pre- they're giving their kids opiates for earache, for going to sake. You know, if your kid has an earache, what do you give him? Give him some heroin. He'll feel better. Right now, heroin is a satellite of morphine. I know that. And it's not, it's not quite the, it's, it's not the same monster, right, as that liquid, that opium that they're from the latex. I understand that. I understand that. But they are giving their kids opium. So when that 10-year-old cuts off his testicles, he takes them, he walks to the city, finds the best place that he can can that he can, right? And he throws it, throws his testicles in the door. Whoever gets his testicles has to provide him a woman's kit, um, including any sort of drugs used for what we call cosmetics, but clothing, clothing. He's got to, you know, you've got to be dressed to impress. So they give him the clothing and he takes on, they call these people the Galois. The galloy. And what is that gall root? It's the root that is used. I think it's probably, it's ultimately pre-Greek, but it's some kind of, some kind of a ritual undertaking that causes hilarity, that causes this inspired state. That's what the galloy are. They're in that frenzied state. People don't realize the, the inventor, the, the god under whom humanity received democracy right, was a woman um, who was a lover of frenzy. They called her the Drakaina. That means the dragon queen slash priest, the Drakaina. It's a gorgeous world. They, they lived in this world that was just unbelievable. But she was the one who promoted the law courts, you don't have democracy until you have DK, the God, DK. Who is she? She is justice. Remember the Christians? They're atheists. The Romans are calling them atheists. The word atheist was invented to describe a Christian because they didn't follow DK. They didn't follow justice. A Christian will put a tyrant into power before they will ever bow to the goddess justice, right? And they recognized this. The Romans recognized it, and they said, oh, my God, 
they're going to take us over and they're going to destroy our education. That's what Julian said. Sure enough, that's what they did. But she who produced democracy for the world, she was described as the Drakina. It was under her protection that we guard decay and therefore can create democratia, right? Where you and I as neighbors, because a deem is just a neighborhood, you and I as neighbors, we may get a lottery. We may have to go serve and do our political thing or serve the polis as representatives, right? Does this sound different from what you and I have for a democracy? It sounds totally different. But it's the guys who created our democracy who took that as a model. Thomas Jefferson, he said, the greatest threat to the fledgling American democracy is the Christian church. He said the Presbyterians. But, you know, that was the, those were the evangelicals of their day, right? Those were the Puritans of their time, right? That group is in direct opposition to democracy and it has been so julian says don't let them teach classics don't let christians teach classics they will bend the the instruction toward what is not classical so they didn't want you know they knew hey this whole thing you know you can give the romans a hard time for being so imperial but they did try to preserve what had come out of athens they did try to preserve that at least appearance of democracy, the freedom that a people, you know, could be able to determine their own destiny, right? That spirit is very much in any of the, you read any of the biographies of great Romans, statesmen, and it's the same thing over and over again. You know, they're, they acknowledged openly and they envied the Greek influence. You got people like Cicero, you know, who were going to the mysteries. Cicero's a freaking leader of, you know, the Romans, right? He's, a, he's way up. He's done the curse of Sonorum. He's, he's, the, he's the cat's meow, man, and a great orator on top of everything. And he's going to Eleusis. Why? He wants to be born again, and he comes back. What's he saying when he comes back from these initiations? It'll change your life. It'll change your life the way you, 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 as a matter of fact, somebody says, I can't remember Cicero, one of the participants says, you've never lived until you've been to one of these things, until you've been through that process. Apparently, taking someone beyond death and bringing them back has a profound effect on the way that they consider the rest of their chronic existence. So, yeah, could we do that today? I. Mark, do you think we could do that? Can we bring it back? You think one of these billionaires will get their act together and and bring us back the oracle and with her the water of life? And next thing you know, you've got you're waking up people to the reality and all of this stuff that we've accrued in the last eighteen hundred years from Judaism and Christianity. And when I say Judaism, I mean Judaism, right? I've got I worked in Israel, and I'm telling you something. The religion is not accepted by the people. The majority of Israelis, it's the majority that I worked with, and I worked with Israeli soldiers, right, who were coming off of bad, bad stuff. And those people were interested in democracy, right? That's not what I'm talking about. The Judaism that is 
the rabbinical religion along with the Christianity that had to prop up its ideals has created a lens for us that we can't even see history for what it is. We're that appropriated, right? We're that plugged into the machine that we can't pull out. Yeah, that democratic, you know, that democratic instinct. I just heard somebody, I'll shut up, but I just heard somebody say they were debating on some popular, on some popular, you know, live YouTube bit. They're debating uh, why it is that Christianity was able to produce democracy. (laughs) And it's that kind of thing that Julian was so afraid of. Do you see how that you've taken democracy and appropriated it, and that's why you're justified in overthrowing the government? Put down your Confederate flags, because guess what? The boys in blue are here. Yeah. You, yeah, right? There's a reason the founders were so stuck. Have you ever, in classicism, have you ever noticed that every monument we have in America looks like something out of ancient Greece? You have to ask yourself, why is that? Why is that? What sort of freedom? What sort of freedom did they glimpse? Well, that freedom was coming from a society where their god is a woman, and she's this badass warrior horse warrior woman whose heart snake and they call her the great dragon and all the christians in the group anybody out there who's christian listening to this yeah it's satanic it is mainstream satanic but your boy moses your fictional moses written in the third century he's doing the same thing he's got the serpent right anybody that wants to be healed come in We're going to create a tent where God can speak to us. Guess what? All of those models come from what the Greeks were doing. We're we're actually doing. We're performing and practicing. Eleusis is not church, right? Initiation is not church at all. And by the way, the early church is using the drugs. There is a movement to root this out so that Christians can be controlled because ecstasy is everybody knows who knows charismatics, right? Charismatics work themselves up into a mental ecstasy. Imagine the same mindset, but on drugs that make you psychotic and extremely horny. And they're called just so you don't think I'm making this up. The drug that you take for that is called satirian satirian. It's the Sigma Tau Rho root, and it is the drug that induces ecstasy, the ecstasy of those who were born again. You don't have it. Evangelicalism today is nothing of the mystery. Or their preachers would be immune to viper venom. Yeah, love it. Wow. Wow. So... I'm kind of reeling here, so please be kind and and just clarify for a moment. So when you say that the, because one of the things that came to mind as you were talking about the Founding Fathers is a book I just found called America Nation of the Goddess, and it talks about these Venus families and how they were creating different monuments to honor the goddess. So 
this is a satanic version of belief because they have a Saturn somewhere in their hierarchy. Is that what you mean by it's satanic? Yeah. When I say it's satanic, I mean, it's bronze age Saturnian mystery. Okay. We are following the morning star, right? So you get all of your divinities within this family, sun, moon, stars, dawn. What are we, what's our name? What is the satanic or Saturnian name? It is Dawnbringer, right? We are all from the family of Dawnbringer. When you perform these mysteries, they're at the time, it's this physics to them is physics. They're at the time when that gateway can be opened by the morning start. What does that mean? It's the time of dawn. It's the time when right preceding the arrival of the solar rays that we can, through the physics, contact. We can make a connection with that mystery divinity. The early Christians understood this process, and they are all meeting at this time. What are they doing? To sing their hymns. What do do the hymns do in antiquity? What is that? You know, we have all these hymns preserved. Do you know that the hymns are even used in conjunction with practices that we find in the PGM? Like the Mithras liturgy, by the way, Mitra is the oldest form of that, and that's what they called Medea, along with Skutha. It goes right back to the founder. Right? You can't talk about the Pontifex Maximus as Pope unless you know what the original Pontifex Maximus was. Right? So this Medea, who's bringing this art, is bringing it through this Bronze Age custom and we don't perceive, uh, we don't understand that. So when you talk about Christians gathering early, or you talk about Job, for example, when does he go? He goes right before sunrise to meet with the sons of God assembled together. And what are they doing? They're doing the same stuff that Enoch is talking about. Get the, leave the drugs out. Leave the drugs here. Oh, here they come. The sons of God. What do all the sons of God know how to do? And by the way, Jesus quotes Enoch more than anybody, right? Half of what Jesus says is just taken right out of Enoch, which makes perfect sense because it was written a couple hundred years before Jesus showed up, and it was extremely popular. So it only makes sense, but he's quoting it all the time, quoting it. Mm, What does Enoch say? The sons of God, where do they come and teach the daughters of men? They talk to them about drugs, about pharmakeia. Do you know what happens when you take a woman and give her the right drugs? If you're a midwife, you already know. If you give her the right drugs, but don't think this this is just any woman. This is a woman that you have bathed. You have bathed in drugs from the time that she was in utero. Right? Have you ever seen the immortality burned off of a kid? It's horrific. It's horrific and painful. And the kid will scream as he is held in the fire. Yeah. It's a process of causing that child to lose its mortality. They are subjecting these kids to drugs for the sake of developing something bigger and better. And they're ending up 
with these things that come down to us as monstrosities. Everybody's afraid of the dragons. You know, one of the this Greek source, I think it was Pausanias. I can't remember. Strabo, maybe. I can't remember. But they said, hey, you got to realize the dragons, they're not dragons, right? They're not monsters. They're just temple guardians. And they call themselves dragons for a very specific reasons, just like the wolves call themselves wolves. Why are they doing this, right? Who's the black wolf queen in antiquity? Oh, well, it's a big deal, right? Believe it or not, it's Venus. Long story short, it's Venus, right? But that form, they called Athena the Iolomorph because she was able to take so many forms, right? Remember, it's a world that has a very specific concrete physics that the physicists like the pre-Socratics, are trying to explain the universe, material and non-material, in one coherent system. Our ideas about black holes, they had ideas about black holes. You say, what? There's no way they could have discovered a black hole. Sure. They called them dark stars. And somehow they knew that once a star had been darkened, you could expect a force to hit Gaia. You can expect a force. It's a distortion. It's a wave, they described it as. And all of a sudden, you realize, oh, shit, we have these giant receivers set up right now to get this, to, to be able to detect this distortion of space-time that takes place when you've got a star that collapses. Wow, you're kidding. That, well, they knew what was up there. They were paying attention. And they're charting everything out, trying to, oh, this year, calendar, it's all based, right? They're not idiots. And they develop a level of, of, of uh, knowledge that just is, it, it, it's, it's truly humbling. To read these sources is truly humbling. When I can only get 10% of a text because I can't figure out, I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes I read these things, mathematical texts do this to me. I can, I can read it, and I'll maybe get 10%. Of I'm not talking Euclid, right? 10% maybe I can pull out of it. So it, it only makes sense when somebody like the priest, a pre-Socratic opens up their mouth that all of a sudden you're thinking, wow, where did this come from? This dude has tattoos. You know Epimenides? Cover with tattoos. He used to carry a, a colt's hoof, and in it he had a, what was described as a white powder. And he would snort it. And he was covered in tattoos. So much so. And it was so profoundly powerful what he did. By the way, he's one of the people that paved the way for your world. Right? He influenced. Was it Solon? Yeah. It ultimately influenced the development of what you and I call democracy. What are these freaks doing? What are these freaks doing? They're walking around in tattoos. They took his skin off after he died. It was so important what was written on it. What kind of Scythian cultures are these, right, that are influencing the Greeks? Do you know what it means to say you're a Scythian in Greek? Scuthizo. You know what that means? It means I'm intoxicated and shaved. Wait, what? Yes, it means I am intoxicated and shaved and... The ultimate model is a female model. Skuza. They call Medea Skuza. Just like they call her Kohis. Right? After the drug, the purple. 
right? It's actually a flip, kochlos. You can find it in Oxford. And it means it's that little animal that produces the purple, right? Wait a minute. What? Yeah, your foundations are totally different than you think they are. And they're a lot more interesting. There's a lot more interesting stuff actually happening. If you will wake up from the narrative that has been fed you by Judaism, Christianity, um, and a bunch of people who are willing just to say, okay, I guess the Christians are right. Yeah, yeah, we need that rebirth. We need that rebirth, that I'm renaissance of that of that reality, I think. I'm with you, man. Jeez, you are firing me up. So I got to ask you this now, considering everything you've said about Christianity, and again, I'm with you on it. One of the big creationist myths is that the world is only 6,000 years old and the flood, you know, yada, yada. So what are the Greeks, what does the ancient Greeks say about this flood? Because there is the whole you know, cultural phenomena of this flood, right? It's not just the Western world that recorded this event. It's recorded in other cultures. You know, what what do we need to know about this time period that Christianity obviously wants us to forget, right? They, they've completely wrote it out. In modern times, they tell us, oh, no, the world's only 6,000 years old. You know, why are they censoring our ancient origins like that? Yeah, yeah. Why are they doing it? I can't answer except to say appropriation causes legitimacy, right? They're trying to make a legitimate. Look at Israel's claim to the land. If that text is not written in Hebrew, and if it's a creation of the third century, they don't belong there, right? Why are there no records on the Egyptian side of their exodus, right? What the heck is going on? It's justification, And they're not the only ones that do this. Those rabbis were not the only appropriators, right? You can look at the Taliban. It kind of is the model. You can justify your existence. You don't belong here. You don't have a history here. So what do you have to do? You have to create one. And if you have to use a great and powerful God to do so, you do so, right? So... By the time, you know, that stuff is all generated in the third century. So the flood that you see in the Septuagint or what the Christians and rabbis call the Torah or the Old Testament, by the time you get that flood account, the Greeks have already been talking about floods for a long time. And yeah, they talk about a big one that involves the region of the Black Sea, right? Okay. And what's going to happen? By the way, that ark thing, she talk about them building. If you go to the Greek and see what that is, it's another oracular structure. And Noah's daughter is the Sibyl. Where are they taking this from, right? Where are the Greeks giving them this material? They're writing this Septuagint, the Torah. They're writing it in Alexandria in the third century under the Ptolemies, right? What are they doing? They're borrowing this material. The Greeks have been talking about that flood for years. They even named the dude that was involved with the oracle that preserved him. And his name was Deucalion. Yeah, right. Okay. Okay. Floods. Floods happen. You know, Thera also blew up. (laughs) And late Bronze Age, Thera explodes. The island where they used to give the oracles. And some people said it was the, the Medwa. 
who is responsible, right? Because she's doing all sorts of stuff like this. She could have made this. She could have made that thing go off, right? It's it's kind of cute speculation, right? But yeah, you, you have that stuff all over, right? And the the fact that the the fact that they also have they incorporated the the narrative of a flood. It's not surprising at all. There were no Greeks and Romans sitting around trying to reconcile Deucalion with this with this thing that came out of Judea. Do you know what Judea is at the time? Judea is nothing. It's backwater. People hate getting assigned to rule Judea for one reason. It's backwater, low tech, and the the society is refusing to accept um, what we have to offer them. No roads. They don't want your roads. They don't want your baths, right? They don't want your influence. You go, it's funny. You go to Israel today and you travel around. What are all the biggest sites that you travel to? They're all Roman colonies, right? They're all developments of Roman society, right? And on the Roman architecture, you see them spoiling the temple. You see them carrying out the candelabra, right? You see them taking all the tools, that they're using in the temple, right? That's where we're deriving our history. And the Jews in the third century understood this. Second century, they understood it. They needed a heritage. They needed to ground themselves to justify their place in a world struggling against an imperial power. Look at how the tables have switched. That's where they were to start with, right? And the Romans came in, you know, and dispersed and destroyed any resistance. Yeah, tables are switched and turning. But what's interesting when you look at it is in order to create their own legitimacy, they had to concoct a kooky origin story and say, this thing that we're going to call the Torah, right, that the rest of us know is the Septuagint, right? What, what, what are they going to do? How, are they, how did this thing come about? Well, you see, there was this magical Hebrew. None of this Hebrew exists. None of it exists. But there was this magical Hebrew that came along, and we're, we took that Hebrew, and we took 70 or 72 rabbis and we put them all in individual cells. This is the story they're telling that the Greeks and Romans said that's the biggest bunch of crap we've ever heard. And they openly said this letter that they say this comes from, it's false. Because the Greeks and Romans were skeptics, scientific skeptics. And what did they pass off as the story? They're rationalists, remember? What did the religious Jews, and that's it was the under the overwhelming minority of people, right? Jews had embraced Hellenism for a long time. You go to a synagogue in in Israel today, in Israel, go to the old synagogues, first, second century. What are you going to find? You're going to find Greek. You're not going to find a lick of Hebrew. You're going to find Greek all over the place. Not only that, you're going to find mosaics with ion. When Jesus says, I'll give you ionic life, he doesn't say eternal life. That's idios in Greek, is eternal. He says he'll give you ion, the Ionian life, the Ionic life. And what is that? You go to a synagogue, 
contemporary synagogue in Israel, and you're going to see Ion, who's a Greek god, with a ribbon surrounding him, and that ribbon is the Zodiac, right? There were lots of Jews who embraced Hellenism, and the problem is the language won, and the Hebrew drops out. It becomes liturgical and useless. So what do they have to do? They say, we took 72 rabbis, we put them in these individual rooms, and they, boom, they took this Hebrew text, and every one of them came up with the exact same translation in Greek. And they stood around and looked at people. And the Greeks and Romans laughed at them for that, right? These are the people who run Alexandria, by the way. The Greeks and Romans are the ones who were pushing the museum in the first place where all this discovery can happen. More so the Greeks, but the Romans, they ultimately arrive at the party a little bit late, but they shore it up and they're saying the same thing. There's no way. There's no way. Well, when the Christians get around, they have to justify their own holy texts. And if they're using Isaiah and Ezekiel from the Septuagint that was made several hundred years earlier, they're going to have to buy the same principle that it's based in Hebrew. The Hebrew is the language of God. It's the language of Jehovah or Jove, whatever you want to call him. It's his language. The problem is the Greek is more technical, and you can't translate. Any translator will tell you, you can't take a non-technical term and make it technical. You cannot increase the level of technicality in your translation. You can do the opposite. You can take it, and when you translate it, it can, and it does frequently, lose its technical flair. But you don't go the opposite way. 72 people, everybody in here that believes anything Judeo-Christian, anything Judeo-Christian believes this thing, that 72 dudes magically translated a document in the holy language of God that we don't have existing, and they translated that into a language that's far more complex. They increase the complexity. Yeah, No, it doesn't work, people. Right. And all of your delusions are based on that. And that's why you didn't know that Jesus Christ was arrested in a public park at 4 a.m. with the naked boy. And while he's screaming, I am not a child trafficker. Right. Right. Mm. Right. Then, you know, oftentimes we see that there are these inexplicable events that we're told that, oh, well, no, you just have to have faith that this happened. Trust us, no matter how, how much it defies all known logic and reason, it happened. And wow, I didn't know that about the 72 rabbis just sort of clapping their hands and, and making a big old <laughs> magic uh, switch like that. But you, you have repeated that last phrase several times. So let's talk about that exact situation with Christ, where he got arrested, and really who this figure is. All right, ladies and gentlemen. As I said at the beginning of this episode, trigger warning, a lot of this stuff is new to people who don't speak ancient Greek, which I would imagine is most of us. So, uh, yeah, shocking stuff. And as you heard with the fade out there, 
uh, I faded it out there and we got into some dark, disturbing evidence that Dr. Aman Hillman shares some of the explicit details that I think are better saved for Patreon. So we're going to jump back into the end of the interview uh, where Dr. Eamon Hillman tells us about his YouTube channel. So if you're still listening and you want to learn more, of course, sign up on Patreon to hear the rest of this episode. Sign up on Substack as well if you don't like Patreon. Uh, and uh, yeah, of course, if you don't want to do either of those, you can always just go and check out Dr. Amon's YouTube channel, Lady Babylon 666. But let's let him uh, plug and we'll wrap up the episode with that. So folks, after that, stick around for the intro and be sure to sign up on the Patreon or the Substack to hear the full interview where, like I said, we get into some explicit, disturbing uh, not for uh, not for innocent ears um, material. So yeah, viewer discretion is advised, as they say on the television shows. I think that's a, a great place to pause for now, but I'd love to have you back on the show. I think I need to take a bit more time researching, preparing questions, but really, you, you took us on a whirlwind today, and I appreciate it because a lot of this was new for me. I imagine it's new for the audience as well, anyone who's not already familiar with you. But for those of us who aren't familiar with you, tell us again where folks can find your work where you upload your videos and, and where the best place they can go to support you. if They'd like to do that. Sure. Sure. First of all, do not buy any books that are in my name. Don't do that because they're charging a ridiculous amount, ridiculous amount. And I'm not here to profiteer. I'm, I'm just not here. I have a free channel, free of advertising on YouTube. I will not take any money for what I do. I'm creating a community that is interested in these texts and people that want to actually get deeper and want to be able to access the originals. They want to have this capacity. So I'm building an army of people to do this. And I do that professionally. That's how I pay for my pizza. But the um, Lady Babylon, where I would direct everybody, is check out Lady Babylon 666 on YouTube. Um, we have gone through a series of initiations to show people texts, to open eyes, to show them the reality. It's shocking. It's painful. And for a lot of people, it's liberating. And I've got a lot of fans who write to me and say, you're going to hell. And I hate, I've been watching you for the entire year, but you're going to hell. And, you know, I appreciate that. I appreciate that warm that warm sense of there's some kind of interaction. The purpose of Lady Babylon is simply one thing, to bring those sources. And I do it, and you'll see the Greek. I'll flash it up, and this is, you know, woo, getting to, oh, God, tonight we're going to do some beautiful stuff. I have a Friday night live show, Friday, Friday evening, 7 Mountain, 9 Eastern. You may not pay me. I will not take any super chats. I, I do look at 
see what people kind of questions people want to answer. And I try to use that back and I try to give that back. And my group that, that faithfully views Lady Babylon, you're going to find that it's full of people who are, you know, kind of intellectually driven and it's, it's all sorts of discipline. I love it. It's like a community. It's like bringing together a, com- a Renaissance community. So you're welcome anytime to come to Lady Babylon and leave some comment. You know what I mean? Like, hey, what's up with that shirt or something? I love that kind of stuff. You, you, I'm in love with my people. I'm just, you know, it's a, I don't know. I feel close to them and I feel like a responsibility to be honest and not to charge them anything. But anybody wants to pay, they know if you work with me, you don't, you don't get any money for it. Why do I do that? Honestly, because that's the way the devil works. The devil, as you know, throw out coins, right, to test you. And anybody who takes the coin can't take the cup, right? If you're here for money, if you're here to sell things, if you're here to appropriate and justify your existence by appropriation, you're going to be sorely disappointed in me. If you're an evangelical, who wants to see these sources in the original, you, you, you gotta come, you've come to the right place. Lady Babylon 666, no money, won't take it. Hail Satan. Right on. I appreciate that. I appreciate the, the dedication to the material and actually getting to the source and what's actually been said. You you made a fan in me. I promise I won't be writing you a message telling you to go to hell, but I would like to have you back on the show sometime to learn more about you and your life. If you're willing to, you know, indulge us on, you know, how, you know, you get to a place like this in life. And I'm very curious about that because this is the, my family thinks I'm crazy show. So well, just, you know, want to know, Hey, does your family think you're crazy for saying all the things you do? So we'll save that for another, th- another time. And I've got some homework to do. Uh, so you got a new subscriber in me, folks, please go over to the links in the podcast description and follow up with Dr. Amon Hillman and don't send them any money. Just go spend your time. It's the most valuable currency we have in this modern day and age. You know, don't waste your your resources any longer. Go straight to the truth, especially if you made it this long to the interview. Because I imagine the people that got offended probably left within the first half hour. And we don't need them anyway. So this has been an awesome conversation. I really appreciate it, man. And everybody who's still with us, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Ladies and gentlemen, that was our conversation with Dr. Amon Hillman. And as you might expect with this episode, there is more on the Patreon. We go even further. Uh, I took out some of them maybe. And, well, really, I just took out the last half of the conversation, I guess. Last 45 minutes. So, uh, yeah, if you want the whole conversation, sign up on Patreon. Please don't shoot the messenger, but hey, am I really the messenger in this situation? No, I don't think so. I'm merely an open-minded podcast host who's willing to hear all sides. So if you're a devout Christian, I think a a conversation like this should only strengthen your faith. Um, And if you want to prove him wrong, hey, like he says, go and read the Greek. 
Otherwise, just uh, just choose to not uh, to not believe him or trust him for whatever reason. I think he's a great guy, and I look forward to learning more about this uh, this time period. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know personally. I never really trusted uh, the sources of history that we were taught in school. And most religious institutions are really no different than school. So, yeah. Uh, But I shouldn't have to tell any of you this. You're listening to a conspiracy podcast, for God's sake. So I hope you're not uh, unsubscribed after hearing that. Again, don't shoot me. Uh, I'm I'm just the messenger, so to speak. If you did like what Dr. Amon, Amon, sorry, if you liked what Amon was saying, go over to Lady Babylon 666 on YouTube. And uh, yeah, that's about it for this episode, folks. On the Patreon outro, I'm going to be looking at some of the Spotify comments that we've received this year, this month. So we'll see you over there if you choose to do that, and you'll get a whole extra 45 minutes of conversation so don't miss out sign up on the patreon if patreon's not your thing sign up on the Substack, and we'll see you next episode immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now mftic Broadcasting the moon matrix from the lunar surface They want you confused like you never knew your purpose Hopping through the portals, dismantling the machine My family thinks I'm crazy, I can't believe what I've seen Memories of a war, the Pleiadians and Anunnaki Stuck within the genes of a copy of a human body DNA fractal, the universe within me Epiphanies of science is hoarded by the Illuminati Puppet masters know the power of the mantra Repeating mad lies till it has an effect on ya Subliminal messages hijacking Perception, tricking the population with holographic projections. We see through it. The system is unraveling. I'm astral traveling through the library of the Vatican on a sacred journey. I embark with the squad, forever spitting truth like Mark on the pod. Gotta know the facts, never hold back. Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap. I dissect the fabric of reality, looking for the answers. Searching through the galaxy, you might be feeling stressed out. Depression, anxiety, it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are We the ones who gonna expose the whole facade I awoke in a deep underground military base Zero recollection of how I got to this place Alien corpses floating in glass cylinders Must have been extracted when they crashed into us Animal hybrids contained in the cages A lion with the eagle head Monkeys with reptilian bases Losing my mind and I'm feeling desperate I look around the room and I see no sign of an exit All of a sudden the wall flickers away Revealing a hangar full of spacecraft My getaway, I run to the nearest one See a guard knock him out Rob him for his plasma gun Hop in the ship, take the controls They highly intuitive, I figure it out easily Lift off, accelerate through a tunnel until I see the light Fly into the sky, get flanked by six F-35s Gotta know the facts, never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality, looking for the answers Searching through the galaxy, you might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety, it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are we the ones who gonna expose the whole facade. <laughs>